good. Turn to Matthew chapter 5, and uh, we'll get there in a few minutes. Last night, was, I, I discovered that I'm old. Um, my sister invited uh, Cindy and I to her house, and then uh, my cousin Mike has come down to be a snowbird. Mike was one we were praying for who had cancer. We didn't think he was going to make it from Bradenton to New York because he, you know, he didn't go to a doctor in, you know, I don't know, 30 years, and um, he, he was really bad, and they did not think he would make it from Florida to, to Buffalo. He made it to Buffalo and went through three sets of chemo and uh, surgery on his back, and, and he was doing well. And then my cousin John, who he now lives in uh, uh, Tennessee, he came down for a reason. So there's a whole bunch of the family together. We're sitting around talking and, and uh, drinking some tea and, and thinking about the food that's going to come and sharing hospital stories. Cynthia <laughs> goes, you know, you really are old now. The greatest thing was is I didn't have half the stories they did about hospitals. My cousin Mike he had played football for Florida State back in the 70s, and that's when he started getting surgeries on taking out hunks of his shoulder and, and things like that. He was going to be drafted by the Dallas Cowboys, and then he had shoulder surgery, and they found out, and they said, uh-uh, we're not touching you. And uh, my cousin John, his whole life is a miracle. He, I remember he was in high school, and he was on a ski trip, and he went to, they were coming off the bus, and he stuck his head back in the bus to say something. They closed the door on him. Messed up his neck. Uh, he was doing another trip. He messed up his knee. Um, he used to race motorcycles. He laid one down, and all his arm was all in pieces. And he he, he looks like the six million dollar man with all the scars and stuff. He's quite an amazing thing. And uh, um, we were all just kind of marveling how we lived through our life over in, in Lake Placid at our grandmother's house, and we were trading stories and stuff on that, and, and uh, as we were going through, I just, I realized I had a really bad temper. I used to get really angry at stuff. I was like the youngest of this group of cousins, and so I didn't get to do some things, and I could get really mad, and then as I was kind of thinking about where, where we're going with this message, I, I'm going to tell on myself, there was a time in my life where I was pretty messed up, and uh, I wanted some uh, chocolate milk. It was about midnight. So I went to a 24-hour store. And there was two guys in that store. And the doors were locked. And they wouldn't let me in. So I'd knock on the door. Hey, come on, man, let me in. It's a 7-Eleven in Miami. And they wouldn't let me in. And I said, come on, come on. And I got so mad, I was going to drive my car through the, through the window. I, I used a payphone, called my buddy because when I tried to drive my car over, it got stuck on top of a, a thing. And my friend came back and, and he got me, took me home and went and got some chocolate milk and by that time I had calmed down. I had a really bad, bad, I got really mad. That in mind, let's go to Matthew chapter 5 and start reading with verse 21. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. 
But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there, re there rememberest that thou brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him, least at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the othermost farthing. Interesting uh, concept here. Jesus, again, that we're continuing in the Sermon on the Mount. And, you know, he started off with the Beatitudes, or what we call the Beatitudes, which really describe how a believer, uh, the character of a believer, what it should be, how, how it's going to be in the kingdom of God, and how we ought to behave ourselves. And he goes in and he tells us we're to be salt and light. And then he, he, uh, um, he you know, we found out uh, last week, um, the great truths that he fulfills all the word. And now he's going in and he's starting to teach about the law. He said, and it has been said, he's referring back to the law. And he's not destroying the law. He's actually expounding on the law. He's correcting what they had heard. And he's correcting the rabbinical understanding of the law. Here's the problem that was going on in those days. They had the word of God. And then you had all these very learned teachers who would tell you what to think about the word of God. And they had all these different traditions. They were holding on to the traditions and they were missing out the spirit of the law. They were really pretty good about keeping the letter of the law. And, and, well, some of them weren't even that because they would kind of move around and, and, and kind of, they were like lawyers. My cousin John told a joke last night. He said, what do you call 35 lawyers at the bottom of the lake? A good start. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I don't tell jokes. I tell stories. <laughs> but listen, um, the lawyers would kind of come up with ways that where you can you could keep the letter of the law, but you could break the spirit of the law and get around it. You know, loopholes is what we call them. And Jesus is trying to close all of those loopholes. He is trying to teach those who are listening to this sermon the truth. And the truth starts off as, you know, it's not just the act, it's the attitude. It's not just the act, it's the attitude. Do we have the stuff on the board or we need to, I don't know if, I don't know if we, if that, I know Ben's been out of town, I don't know if we had the, uh, the notes up there. First point, well, here we go, there we go. It's not the act, it's the attitude. Get Matthew 5.22, but I send you that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. 
and whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Now, how many of y'all know what Raka means? Dummy. Actually, that's what it means. It means empty-headed. Empty-headed. It means dummy. How many of you realize that we break this command about murder all the time? Jesus was explaining that the, the root of murder, what causes the physical act, is anger and frustration that rises to the point where an act happens. How many of you thought several times when that person cuts you off, I have to kill that person? Or, you know, the worst one is when you're driving in the fast lane, somebody's going slow with their, with their um, blinker on. I tell them they ought to move to Miami. They get shot because people don't put up with that down there. Y'all, it must have changed after I left. When I left, it was a dangerous place. But listen, that anger, that rocket, you idiot. <laughs> okay, you guys on Facebook, quit posting all that stuff. Okay, that's calling other people names. You are breaking a commandment. You're committing murder. When you're calling other people empty-headed. What a terrible testimony for a believer. You see, it's not the act so much as it is the attitude. And he goes on, he says, man, you're in danger of the judgment. I mean, you're going up to the, the, the Supreme Court, the, this big Sanhedrin, and they're going to be judged. And he goes on and says, when you call somebody a fool... You're in danger of hellfire. Literally, Gehenna, which is a valley of Gehenna, where they burned trash, and they, it was a terribly bad place. And he, what was threatening was that they would be burned up. It, Jewish people are not real fond of the idea of cremation, at least at that time in that culture. It was an abomination to them because that's what other cultures did, and they weren't like other cultures. I don't think that's valid for us today. We'll not, I don't want to go there today, but you better just say that. So the problem is here is that, that we get an attitude that's all messed up. We get mad, we get angry, we call people names, and Jesus said, man, it's just... <sighs> Verbal abuse stems from the same sinful motives, anger and hatred, that ultimately lead to murder. This internal attitude is what the law actually prohibits. And, and because of that, an abusive insult carries the same moral guilt as an act of murder. <laughs> Jesus kind of upped the program a little bit, didn't he? I heard people all the time, I've never killed anybody. <laughs> really? Go through the Ten Commandments. I may have broke every one of them, but I've never murdered anybody. Really? Not only is it the act, uh, the, the attitude is, is, is as bad as the act, but unresolved conflict 
or anger hinders our worship. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and, and there rememberest that thy brother hath against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. Judaism always stressed reconciliation between individuals. And God wouldn't accept an outward offering if one had, a, 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 had mistreated their neighbor or, or had some, some issues with someone else in their, in their lives. And, and Jesus is carrying on that tradition. He, he got, does so in, 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 in uh, Matthew 18. He talks about that. And we're going to go there a little bit later. I mean, he even came to the point in, in 1 Peter where he's talking about to husbands and wives. Hey, hey, you husbands, I thought you might need this because I needed this. It says, likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, being a precious vessel, not a weak vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So if you're not treating your wife right, if you're not trying to take care of her and know her and understand her as best as possible, your prayers aren't being answered. You see, sinful anger has to be faced honestly and it has to be confessed to God as sin. We have to go to our brother and get the, the matter settled and we ought to do it quickly. The longer we wait, the worse the bondage. Matthew 18, and we're going to go there in a little bit, but I'm going to tell you a little story. It, it talks about how to get right with your, your neighbor, and it talks about uh, um, forgiveness. And then it tells a story of a guy. He was in debt, big time. And he went to this, his, the, the man who he was in debt to, and, and he just begged him, please don't put me in prison. Please, don't, please take care of me. I, I'm so sorry. I just can't pay this. And, and he was forgiven. And that same guy that was forgiven, he turned around and went to somebody that owed him money, and he put it to him, put him in prison. Just made, him, made things miserable. That guy was mean and bitter. Says that guy ended up being judged and worked off every bit of that. Problem is, is when we have unconfessed, unconfessed sin, along with a conflict with someone else, it, halters our, it, it, it hinders our worship. We don't come pure in heart. Oh man, throughout the years I've seen people who, who, who are just so bitter. They've been hurt. They never reconciled that hurt and they're just bitter and they're mean. And the problem is, is they're not just bitter and mean to themselves, they're bitter and mean to others and cause others to be hurt. They make, they're not happy just to be miserable in themselves. They want everybody else as miserable as they are. And they, why do we want to live in that type of bondage? Jesus is saying, go get it right. How do you worship when you have that much hate on your heart? What a world we're living in right now. I've never seen our country during my lifetime as divided as it is. Not just differences of opinion but if you have a different opinion than than mine then you're awful 
In fact, I've read some things. I'm wondering if they're going to open up re-education camps. Some of y'all understand what that means. Both sides get a little out of hand on this. Listen, unresolved conflict or anger hinders our worship. Not only does it hinder our worship, unresolved conflict affects our reward. Agree with thine adversary quickly, verse 25 says. While thou art in the way with him, least at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. You know, Romans 14.10 says this. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 13 says, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Okay, I think I need to talk to you a little bit because sometimes we get confused. There's two judgments talked about. There's the great, great white throne judgment. We will not be judged at the great white throne judgment if you're a believer. We don't have to worry about that one. That's the one where people will be judged for their sins. See, when you receive Jesus as your Savior, He's forgiven all those sins. They'll never be brought up again. It's done. But there is a judgment seat of Christ. And at the judgment seat of Christ, we will be rewarded for what we have done after we received Him. We'll be rewarded for our service. We'll be rewarded for... Um, there's going to be somebody who's going to get so, such a great reward for changing diapers in the nursery. Yeah. There are several crowns mentioned in, in the Word of God. And, and at that time, when we stand before Christ, our life will be, our life as a believer will be brought up and our works, what we did, the motivations behind them, the acts themselves will be judged and will be rewarded. But if we have anger, and we have bitterness and meanness. We're going to lose rewards. I know some people that will work so hard just to spite somebody else. I'll show you. I think I've been really guilty of that at times. I've heard so many times people have told me, well, you can't do that. That'll never happen. That'll never work. I'll show you. hope my motives were pure I'll show you because God will do it but I know sometimes it was the flesh saying I'll show you you see we have this unresolved conflict with people we're going to we're going to suffer 
we're going to suffer a loss of reward. It's going to hinder our worship. You see, remember, it's not the act, it's the attitude. We have to be careful about that. Those things in mind. Every believer must resolve our conflicts. We must resolve our conflicts. And here's how we do it. Turn a few chapters over to Matthew 18. Number one thing, the one incredible way to resolve conflict is to ask for and grant forgiveness. Matthew uh, chapter 18, starting at verse 15, there's a whole lot of things going on here. Um, Earlier in the chapter, he's actually coming, he's addressing the lost sheep. You need to keep that in mind, that that shepherd goes after that one sheep he leaves the 99 behind. He goes after that one sheep because he cares so much for them. And then he goes into this thing about taking care of conflict. He also talks about that there's offenses going to come into your life. And listen, folks, we're going to get hurt. People are going to do things to us that, that hurt us. And there are some people out there that will do things that hurt you, and they don't mean to. I heard it put this way. Even good people do bad things to good people. Would you agree with that? I say things all the time. In a w- <laughs> My wife keeps telling me, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I got it. Smile because you look like you're mad. <laughs> I'm not mad, I've just got a mean face. Oh, Mercy. Ask and grant forgiveness. Matthew 18 tells us what to do, starting at verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And and he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Skip over to Matthew, uh, to verse 21, it says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I shall forgive him? Till seven times? Peter figured out that the key to this whole thing is forgiveness. But he goes, how often do I have to forgive? Jesus says, he goes, seven times? Is that enough? Next verse says this, Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Jesus was was not advising careless or shallow forgiveness. Christian love is, is not blind. The forgiveness Christ requires is on the basis of of the instructions that he gave here. If a brother is guilty of a repented sin, no doubt he would find strength and power to conquer that sin through the encouragement of his loving and forgiving brother. If we condemn a brother, 
we bring out the worst in him. But if we create an atmosphere of love and forgiveness, we can help God bring out the best in him. Okay, those of you who are lawyers at heart and are looking for a loophole, when Jesus said seven times 70, that's, I know, it's 490. You can't, you got to keep forgiving past 490. Don't wait till 490 times and put it to them. Okay, that's not it. That reference actually goes back into the book of Genesis. And um, Cain had a, a son named, I believe his name is Lamech. And uh, he went out and murdered. He had two, he started two bad things. He's had two wives, first recorded in the Bible. And then he went out and killed somebody. Knowing the curse that came upon Cain, he went out and murdered somebody. And he said that my punishment will be 70 times that of Cain's. So what, we're, what Jesus is saying is you just keep forgiving. You just keep forgiving. Let's lay this thing out just a little bit. If you find out if somebody's offended you, somebody said something that, that just kind of sticks in your craw, maybe it even hurt. Go to that person. Go to that person. And say, you know, what you said offended me. It hurt me. Most of the time when those type of things happen, we'll be able to get it settled right there. And I'm going to tell you, it's one of the hardest things ever. Because Satan does not want you to reconcile. He wants to keep you messed up. He wants to make you bitter. He wants to hinder your worship. He wants to, to destroy you. But if you'll just go to that person and talk to them, most of the time it will be settled right there. That person may not even know they've offended you. Most of the time I find out that I've offended somebody kind of backhanded. It comes around the other way. You know, somebody he tell they tell somebody, and that person tells somebody, and then, hey, preacher, you really, you really did that person wrong. What did I do? Don't you hate that? That's like middle school drama. <laughs> middle school drama's the worst. Come on Thursday, you can see some of it happening. Listen, when there's a problem, go to that person. Talk to them. Work it out. Forgive them when they ask forgiveness. You ask forgiveness of them when you've offended them. Okay, a couple misconceptions about forgiveness. Doesn't mean that you forget. It doesn't mean you allow yourself to be beat up and taken over over and over again. Okay? Forgiveness means you're not going to bring it up again. Those of you who, couples who, who fight, if you've actually forgiven it, you can't ever bring it up in an argument again. Yes. <laughs> I just messed up a whole bunch of you. Well, don't you remember back 30 years ago when you did? No, you can't bring that stuff up. If you're really forgiven, you never bring it back up. That's what God does. He never brings back up what we've done wrong. That's what he's asking us. We give forgiveness and we ask forgiveness. It goes on and says, if it does, you don't get it settled between one person, take a couple with you. Let them kind of be a judge and mediator between the two. 
Then it says, if that doesn't work, you bring it before the church. You bring it before the congregation. And man, if it gets that far, things are in, it's big trouble. This is what's called church discipline. And there may be a time that if it doesn't get settled at the church level, then that person is put out of fellowship with the church. And I know that doesn't seem to mean a lot to people today. I can just go down to another church over here. Let me tell you something, the spiritual consequences of not getting right when it comes before the church are, are, are very, very heavy. I'm thinking of some right now, but I don't, just don't want to go there. Let me tell you something, you don't want to mess with that. You want to get right. You want to, you want to take care of that conflict. You want to settle that conflict. Not only do we need to ask for and grant forgiveness, but we will resolve our conflicts when we make restitution when needed and possible. Again, verse 25 and 26. Agree with thine adversary quickly while thou art in the way with him. Least at any time the adversary deliver thee unto the judge, and the judge deliver thee unto the officer, and thou be cast into prison. That's debtor's prison. You may need to go make restitution to someone. You may have you may have wronged somebody, you may have done something that you need to make restitution for. Back in my messed up days, I had uh, borrowed some money and didn't pay it all back and the Lord really laid it on my heart. I heard a message like this. And, and God laid it on my heart. So I took what little bit of money I had had and I wrote a letter to this person and I sent it to him. And they granted me forgiveness of the rest of the debt. But I tried to make restitution. It may, need, it may be that restitution is nothing more than asking forgiveness. It may be that restitution is nothing more than granting forgiveness. Because some of us don't want to ever forgive. Wherever possible, you need to be able to make it right. One of the saddest things is people live under the bondage of conflict and anger and resentment for years and years and years. They don't get the joy of worship. They're losing reward. Their life is in, Satan has them in bondage. And they can be free by forgiving or asking forgiveness and by making restitution. Listen, if you're here this morning, this is a tough message. By the way, when you read the Bible and you read Jesus' messages, they're pretty tough messages. Not a great feel-good message. But if you want to feel good, let me, get, let me give you a couple things you can do. There's somebody that God may lay on your heart that, that you have a conflict with. There may be someone that, that you know you've wronged or, or that has wronged you. Go to that person. Go to that person. Make a phone call. Write a letter. Make a visit. 
go across the room even and make those things right. Ask forgiveness, grant forgiveness. If there needs to be restitution, make restitution. Shame is that some of those things can't be done because people have already passed. At that point in time, you just ask forgiveness from God. He'll cleanse you. And don't let those people who are no longer here control you. Be set free. The truth will make you free. Confess your sin. He is faithful and just to forgive that sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Invitation this morning. If there's someone you need to make things right with, do that. So you can fully enjoy the worship. So you can fully enjoy the the forgiveness that has been given you. So you can fully enjoy the reward that is waiting for you. If you're here and you never trusted Christ as your Savior, unfortunately, you need to understand you're in trouble. I've never killed... That comes all the time when I talk to people. I've never killed anybody. Oh, have you been angry? You've murdered them in your heart. So you were a murderer. You broke every one of the other Ten Commandments too, just like I have. Just like I have. And you need the forgiveness that only Jesus Christ can give. Because He died on a cross. He was the sacrifice to pay for all of the sin. And He was buried and rose again, conquering sin and death. And He will give that to us when you receive Him as your Savior. That is your need this morning. Don't wait. Do that. Enjoy the freedom that that gives you. Someone once told me, the most Christ-like thing you can do is to forgive someone. That's what He's done for us. We're going to be like Him. We too must forgive. Let's pray together. Let's stand and we'll pray. Father, uh, wow. Realize that our anger can so twist us, make us Lord, it is our anger.